0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, one of the things that sticks in every Cubs fan in 84 is when the, you know, before the game would start go Cubs go by Steve Goodman would play. And that became synonymous with the 84 team. And I think people kind of forget that, that, Know Steve, you know, he was battling cancer for many, many years, and he wrote kind of a cheeky song, The Dying Cove Band's Last Request, that had the lyrics, you know, the the home of the brave, the land of the free, the doormat of the National League. But then to have Go Cubs Go, which I believe a couple of Cubs were also background on that, they really thought they could sing, Bob. And uh, I mean, it was really special. And then as the story goes you know, the Cubs are going to be playing in their first postseason game since 1945, and the idea was that Steve would sing the anthem, and unfortunately, he passed away right around when the Cubs clinched, but his very good friend Jimmy Buffett pinch hit for him and sang the anthem, and, and you know, that, that had to have been just a very, you know, surreal moment, I It
1: guess. was. I still hear that song today, and it, it gives me goosebumps. I I, I immediately cheer up. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it's just—it's uh, a beautiful song, and and and, you know, I'm so glad that that tradition came back to mm-hmm. sing it after a win. It, it's, yeah. And and just, you know, I think about Steve Goodman all the time, and, you know, then it gets into the postseason, and oh my God, the Cubs come out of that gate, game one. I mean, even, I mean, Rick Sutcliffe, not only dominating on the mound, the guy hits a home run, Bobby D hits
1: 13 to nothing. And then we win that ball game at Wrigley field. And then then we, we come back behind Steve Trout the next day and win that game. Now we're going out to San Diego and all we have to do is win one game of the three that we're going to play out there. And to this day, one of the things that after we, they played the first game and we lost. Okay. Then there was a day off in between game three and four and two of the wives, Joan Fry and, uh, and uh, Dallas Green's wife, Sylvia, they wanted to go ahead and, and, and it was a, it was a lot of, of wives and, and kids on the trip. We were going to go to the San Diego zoo and the sea world. And, and Larry Bowes and I have talked about this before. And some of the other guys, after that th- we lost game three. We just wanted to go back to the hotel, by the pool, talk baseball, sit around, have maybe have a beverage, and <clears throat> think about game four. No, we were out there walking around, looking at giraffes and elephants and <laughs> doing all that stuff. <clears throat> and then we go to game four. Of course, Steve Garvey had some things to say about that. We lose that game. Now we're going to game five. And uh, you know, that when that ball went through Leon's glove, we had that lead earlier in the game. I thought we really had it. I'm a very superstitious person, and I remember in that game around the fifth or sixth inning when we were leading, uh, I got called down and by the National League and said, "You got to go down with the Oshkawan or our clubhouse guy into the clubhouse and help where we're going to have the ceremony and everything else." And I said to Ned, "I said Ned, hold the fort here. I got to go down there. I don't want to go. I got in an elevator. And I, I said." I'm not happy going down here because this game's not over. Get down there and sure enough, I could hear the roar of the crowd. I got back up there just in time to see the ball hit through Durham's glove underneath. And I remember uh, Dave Van Dyke, who was a writer in those days for the Chicago Sun-Times and was the Baseball Writers Association of America president, we had spent the first day out in San Diego putting together the master seating arrangement for the media for the World Series against the Detroit Tigers. And I think for the first two or three hours, we only could decide on one person where they're going to sit. And uh, that was, we had a gentleman back in those days who was blind. (laughs) We ended up putting behind one of those pillars because it wouldn't make a difference to him, okay? (laughs) Uh, Bob Greenberg, God bless him. Good guy. And for the next two and a half, three hours, we sat there drinking bourbon, trying to figure out where all these people are going to be put. Well, we finally ended up getting the the thing together. I folded the big sheet, kept it in my attache case. I had it with me up there in the press box in San Diego. Dave walks over to me in the eighth inning. He says, you got that sheet? I said, yeah. He said, let me see it. He grabs it and folds it up, takes his lighter out, makes a torch out of it up there. Mm. And I said, oh God, all that work we put in and all this. So now we go down into the locker room afterwards and right down the hallway was where the Padres locker room was. And we could hear all the cheering and the jumping up and down and Dallas and myself and John Cox, our assistant general manager and Ned, myself and the players were just sitting in there moping. Some guys didn't even want to take a shower and we're sitting on the trunks have the, uh, the, uh, that Yosh has to, for the equipment and just sitting there staring at each other. Well, we finally got on the bus, and they're banging on the signs uh, on the side of the bus, and uh, they're singing and chanting and everything else. We get to the airport, get on the plane, and nobody says a word on this plane. I mean, it, you could have heard a pin drop all the way back to Chicago we landed O'Hare at about four o'clock in the morning. And there were five buses that were taking various players at different places. So our bus, and I had Sandberg in there with Bo and a few other guys, we were going back down to Wrigley field where the parking lot was across the street from the, where the firehouse is mm-hmm. to get our cars. We get down there, it's about five in the morning. And all of a sudden I see the lights go on in the firehouse. Out is about 150 to 200 people and stayed the whole night with bedsheets. And they unfolded these bedsheets, and it had hearts on them, and it says, we still love you. Well, Boa looked over at me. I still get teary-eyed about this. He looked at me. He said, Bobby, he says, we let a whole city down, didn't we? And we just stood and cried. We stood and cried there. And the next day I had to go into the office and everybody was in there. We just passed each other in the hallways. Nobody said anything the next day, same thing. Nobody said anything. And on the third day, Dallas green called for a meeting in the, in the lunchroom. He got the staff together in there and I'll never forget. He took his fist, banged it on the table. He says, guys, we had a hell of a season. This isn't over yet. We're going to go out in 85. But we got to get back to work. Sitting around here moping isn't gonna help anybody. Let's get to work and get it done. He was that he was that coach, that leader. So from that point on, we went out and did that. And if you remember, the 85 season got off to a good start. We were in first place and by the middle of June. And then every one of our starting pitchers went down.
0: All five. All yep.
1: five of them. And by the end of middle of July. We were fighting for last place. It was just, it was a gut punch, but I will say that 84 Cubs team put forth a platform for later day Cub fans, and it built up from the minor league system with Gordy Goldsberry and with Dallas green and what that ball club did. It got us on the map and it got people believing that the Chicago Cubs could one day be a world series champion. And I'm so happy that I still am alive. And I saw that happen in 2016. I kept the bottle of uh, champagne from that season, never opened it over all the years. (laughs) And the night they won uh, in game seven, I popped that sucker open.
0: I bet it never tasted so sweet.
1: Oh, it still tasted good.
0: <laughs> and then you think about that '84, Sandberg wins the MVP, Sut, the, you know, the Cy Young, Sandberg under near gold glove, Jim Fry manager of the year, Dallas Green executive of the year. I mean, it was just absolutely fantastic. And it really, like I said, it put the Cubs back on the map. They were a forgotten team. After, you know, the 70s team kind of broke up a little bit and then people just didn't realize the passion of the fan base. And now we are here 40 years later and we're, we're, you know, June 23rd, 2024 is the date for the Ryan Sandberg statue ceremony. He's the first player that's of the non-1960s team to get a statue. And obviously we know everything Rhino's going through right now and our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. But I mean, that's got to be—it's it's, going to be a surreal moment to see that statue unveiled, and for all the all the teammates to be back like that. It's—I I have a feeling it's going to be something that Cub fans are just never going to forget.
1: Oh, it's going to be uh, unforgettable. And and to think that when he showed up at Ho Ho Camp Park, actually Fitch Park is where we worked out before we went and played our exhibition games out in Mesa in uh, in 1982. Uh, a couple of the Chicago beat writers came over to me and said, so who's this guy Sandberg that got thrown in the trade? And I pointed over here and they said, Fred Mitchell said to me, and, and Dave Van Dyke and, and Joe Goddard uh, said, that's not Sandberg. That's a batting. That's a, that's a bad boy. What are you doing? Trying to pull something <laughs> over? I said, no, that's Ryan Sandberg. And I said, I'll bring you over. I'll introduce you. And that's how I got Sandberg to do his first interview, which his nickname was Gabby because he didn't talk very much. <laughs> and if you, if the backstory about that, why Sandberg was always so silent, he grew up in the, on the West coast in Washington state. And his brother told me the story that he and, uh, and his father owned a funeral home out there. Okay. And of course they had their house either next to it. I can't remember or within it and on the side. And they were always told to be very quiet and be respectful and rhino never spoke out of of character he was very very quiet but his brother told me he says don't ever mistake that for a lack of passion or for a lack of energy he says ryan has a look about him when he quarterbacked in high school he'd look at you in the huddle in a certain way and you better get your butt going because that look told it all and I never realized it till one day during the uh, 83 season when something happened and uh, it dealt with Charlie Grimm and where we had spread his ashes around second base at Samberg didn't like that <laughs> because he was spooked. And he looked over at me and I said, there's that look. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be a big day for Rhino. I'm so happy for him and his family and uh, certainly want to pass along my best wishes for him. If anybody can fight something, Rhino will do it. Well, thank you so much,
0: Bob, for giving us some of your time. I really appreciate it, and we look forward to having you back on the Fly the W podcast.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Crawley, great job with that interview, but uh, there is a little bit of sad news to report out of uh, Cubdom. Yeah, Tom Otis Hellman passed away yesterday. He worked as the a clubhouse manager for 15 15- years five with Cincinnati and then 45 with the Cubs wow. he originally started out in the visitors clubhouse and then moved to the home clubhouse in the 1990s when the legendary Yosh Kawano retired um, it's just a really sad story he was going to be missed by his family friends and all the ballplayers who he cared for like family yeah I saw Tom Ricketts uh, on social media saying that they lost a really great uh, member of the Cubs family so nice to see him pay his respects Uh, Crowley, that's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Of course, follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and you can email Crowley and I, flythew670 at gmail.com, and you can watch us. That's right. You can see Crowley and I on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 score YouTube channel. Crowley, have a uh, great week, and uh, maybe watch the Super Bowl or at least go to a party. I'm going to try, but more than anything, I'm going to be watching my phone waiting for breaking news, which will have it occurs, except on the Super Bowl. Go Cubs!